in the dark, it's raining. Seven years, hundreds of episodes. Welcome, uh, golf nerds. It's good to be with you again. Golf spiritual leader, along with uh, Coach Tim. And welcome to Swing Thoughts. Coach and I are very excited once again to be brought to you by a bunch of very fine people. Look at you looking good in your uh, Jonathan Wong apparel. Be Draddy. Uh, Be Daddy. New Be Draddy shirt. Look Hold at you, on. man. Got the uh, Be Draddy, the uh, Garb, Royal Albatross, so much more. Uh, as uh, many of you know, we're uh, working with NeuroPeak Pro, the world of precision breathing, heart rate variability, uh, and so much more. Brain performance that's training athletes, business people, and medical professionals around the world. And of course, uh, Man, we couldn't do this without our friends at TaylorMade Golf. A lot of good things going on. Um, my older brother, David, the psychologist, the smartest glassman, uh, just sent me a note yesterday. Tim, he's been on the show, so people know who he is. He uh, just bought himself a stealth driver. A stealth driver, you say? Yeah. Sweet. Uh, the all-new TaylorMade Stealth irons, drivers, and equipment is available to you, and we always recommend... Uh, when you can to get fit professionally because it makes such a difference check them out at tailormadegolf.ca and we can talk more about that as the show goes on all right let's get to to, to, to today's guest by the way last week's guest dr izzy justice got a lot of reaction to dr izzy yeah absolutely um yeah i had a lot of people just say that was so cool it was interesting what we all the feedback I got from one uh, avid listener client as well. He said, he said he backed up what you guys talk about, but with science. That's right. Um, that was so cool. <laughs> well, I was telling people I had a client call last night with somebody, and and they also mentioned the show. I said, well, if you thought last week had lots of little nuggets, I said, wait until you hear today's guest. Um. Kathy uh, Hartwood, a former LPGA touring professional, among the top 50 LPGA teachers in America. And then at some point, Kathy turned to the world of golf life coaching and really is one of the few people that I've ever met and had the honor uh, of speaking with who has taken golf and sort of turned it on, or golf coaching, and turned it on its head in a way where it's almost like a golf therapist. Is that fair to say that there's almost like a, a therapy aspect to the kind of work you do, Kathy Hartwood? <laughs> yeah, you could say it's therapy, though I'm not a therapist. I know. Uh, but <clears throat> but yeah, I, I come at it from the whole person angle. I think that how we do one thing, we do everything. So most of the things that show up for you on the golf course are things that also show up for you off of your life, off of the golf course and in your life, or things that are happening in your life will show up on the golf course. It's like ripping the bandaid off of your ability to manage your mind. That's what golf does. It exposes us to ourselves and when you work on one area you up level everything well i'm glad you started with that because before we get into this i want to say full disclosure i reached out to kathy in a pretty low period of my my life not my life but in the last few months i'd just broken up with girlfriend rachel and i was feeling terrible about that and was affecting my it was affecting 
a lot of things, not the least of which it was, you know, sort of leaching into how I was showing up on the golf course. And I came across Kathy Hartwood. I can't remember exactly whether it was your podcast above par or I was reading about you. But we began um, some sessions and it really helped me in a lot of different ways. And I was going to tell you now on the first tee of every hole. Uh, because of Kathy's inspiration, when everyone else is going, hey, let's play well, let's have fun. Here's what I say. I said, well, at least let's try not to hate ourselves too much when this thing is over. And that usually makes. Okay. <laughs> and that. Well, here's the thing. I'm being facetious. It usually makes people laugh, but it also makes them think. And that's where I'll start. Why is it that we have so much self? And it's true. Golfers have a lot of self-loathing, comma, shame. which is one of the themes that we've talked about. And you talk a lot about the idea of golf makes us feel shameful about ourselves and doesn't make us feel good about ourselves. Yeah. Not all the time. I think the best players, I think for you to be able to play to your potential is you taking, having your own back. And what we have a tendency to do in golf is beat the crap out of ourselves on the golf course. We talk horribly to ourselves. And a lot of this is just because we have, we know no difference. We haven't learned any other way to do that. And we don't know how to really manage all the thoughts and emotions that come up on a golf course and they come fast. So if you're not able to redirect your brain, if you're not able to deal with your emotions on the golf course, which it seems like you can do them off the golf course. And the only difference, the biggest difference is time. On the golf course, you can sit in your car and and, and um, be really ticked off that you're stuck in traffic, or you could have an argument and go and have a couple drinks and get over it. But on the golf course, you don't have time for that. We have seconds or minutes before we uh, hit our next shot. And if we haven't processed the thoughts or dealt with the emotions, we end up beating the crap out of ourselves for not being able to perform at the level that we know that we can, especially the level that we know we can usually for most people is how they hit it on the range. Right. And I differentiate it too. It's like your ability to hit golf shots on the range for most people. Some people get a little stressed out on the range because they fiddle too much. But if you can hit them on the range, but you can't do it on the golf course, I define that as being part of the mental piece, you being able to manage your mind. And then the other part is if you just play golf and you just, it's golf is a big part of your life, but you feel crappy all the time. That is also where I come into play. Well, so many people seem to just invest so much of themselves in their golf game and it has so much to do with their, their identity. And the thing I've heard before, I want to get your feedback on this is that I've often led people through experiences as individuals or in groups where they start to become aware of how they self interfere. Mm-hmm. But I get asked this, I'm going to ask you this, is people go like, but what about on the golf course when it matters? Mm. So how do you work, how do you work with your clients around that piece around, hey, I'm just practicing, but how can I bring this freedom that I'm experiencing here to the golf course when it matters? Well, the way that I describe it is I talk about your primitive brain right? and your primitive part of your brain, which hasn't evolved very much, was designed to um, warn you of different ways that we weren't going to survive as a species, basically. Right. So it would I describe things as, you know, you go out of the, you put your head out of the cave, you look for saber tooth tigers and your brain is going to tell you to go back in the cave. 
Also, that's a little bit of like, we don't want to get kicked out of the tribe because if we got kicked out of the tribe, we'd have to figure out how to find our own food. Well, that part of our brain hasn't evolved very much. You know, when we see a tiger, it puts us into this fight or flight mode. And then we have a lot of pressure and stress and we don't think very clearly. That pressure and that stress shows up in our body. That's the way it's designed. We want to fight or flight. We want to run. So there's tension. So what happens now we modern day um, has changed a lot, but that part of our brain hasn't changed a lot. So when we make something very important, what we're doing to our brain is we're making it a big old saber tooth tiger. And we go into this fight or flight mode. And all of a sudden we have all this pressure and tension in our body and we don't think very clearly. And then we shame ourselves that why can't we do this? Mm-hmm. And so the, while I I recommend to people is let's not make big tournaments, big saber tooth tigers in our head. You know, if we can kind of create a, a sense of evenness across all the tournaments that you play and we watch that are it's easier for us. I didn't finish that sentence. And we watch for, oh, I'm making this a big deal. I'm making it mean a lot. And that's, of course, is what's going to create a lot of tension. You're not going to perform your best. So I think it's so important. I teach people to be onto your brain because when we can be onto our brain, our brain is just doing what our brain is designed to do. Then we can have a little bit more grace for ourselves. And it's much easier to redirect. The minute you have those moments, where you're like, I'm an idiot. I can't believe I'm doing this. It's like, why? I can do it on the range. When you start shaming yourself and blaming yourself, shame, you know, shame is basically, I could have done it, but I didn't. Um, And it feels really crappy. And it's one of those hard emotions to deal with on the golf course. It takes a lot of time to process shame. When we start doing that, we're really not helping at all. We're not giving ourselves an opportunity to get to one of the preferred states that I talk about. Well, I want to get to that in a second, because I started off with the idea of shame and how it interferes with our golf game, because in the 200 and whatever plus episodes we've we've done, a lot of what we do, because we were sort of joking before the show that we sort of whine and talk about each other's golf games but what we really do is we make it sort of okay for other golfers men especially men especially have trouble really talking about what's going on and one of the things that you know i quote kathy's stuff to people all the time but one of the things you said to me and we've talked about and you talk about it is is not allowing ourselves to feel good about ourselves based on a score, based on a number, based on how we showed up that day. And these kind of emotions and feelings and how they affect our golf games are real, but not a lot of people talk about them. Yeah. You know, we go home not feeling very good about ourselves and a lot of days on the golf course. Yeah, I mean, we go home not feeling very good, and then we go and buffer in different ways as well. Like we either like hit Netflix, or we eat, or we drink, or we try and just get away from that emotion. Right, and it becomes just it becomes such a pattern for us because we're not willing to experience that emotion. But a lot of times, people are either very. Um, disconnected from their emotions or they're very disconnected from their thoughts or I could probably said that better is like they're very aware of their thoughts or that are very aware of their emotions a lot of times of course you know men a little bit more but I promise you I coach a lot of women who are very disconnected from their emotions too we're just kind of trained that way like it was like not a thing we did especially if you played other sports like don't show your emotions you know they're a bad thing and but this the thing that also has helped me a lot 
uh, you know, because this was not my strong suit for sure, especially when I was playing for a living. But the thing that helps me visually is that your emotions are just energy in your body created from a thought and they show up in your body differently. They're going to either it's energy. So like, let's go back to pressure. Pressure, if you had to describe it in your body, is going to for most people is going to be a tension and you might feel it, let's say, in your chest or your stomach. You, you being aware of that is very important because that energy doesn't go anywhere unless you process or deal with it. And what we do is we shove it down into our leg and we like, we're like, I'll deal with it later. I'm going to worry about it later. And just like a beach ball underwater, trying to hold a beach ball underwater, eventually it is going to pop out. That's when people kind of lose their, you know, their minds on the golf courses because they've been <laughs> holding it, that annoyance and frustration under for so long. And then they have one triggering moment, like someone who's been bugging them on the golf course says something, or they just have that one shot that pushes them over the edge and then that's that beach ball coming out and i think your ability the the whole goal for you to be able to play your best golf is two steps the first step is to figure out how you make your best swings not mechanically but what state emotion feeling what however you want to describe it that you're in for most people it's calm certain or confident i call it my three c's or a synonym of those some people like to add focus in there i think that focus is something that we can do when we're calm certain and confident but if that's where you like to be that's fine too so you figure out what is your best state most preferred state and then your job the second step is to hit as many shots from that state as possible and then how i help people is why the heck can't you do it like what's getting in the way your thoughts are getting in the way or can't you process that last emotion so that you can get back to calm do you also talk to your clients about say a strategy that they can use on the golf course because I totally get what you're saying about I've done a lot of work with men for about 20 years and facilitating them in in emotional stuff mm-hmm. but the average person let's say men and women um, on the golf course they, they really can't it's not a time to press oh my god I'm feeling shame right now Tim just froze up yeah, but I think he's feeling shame. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, screen cap of he's kind of looking up into <laughs> yes. the sky. It's a, I wish you, I, I don't know, a lot of people don't watch this Facebook feed, but they should see this moment. I think, yeah, he, I, well, and, and where, where I think Tim's getting to is where I wanted to take us, which is, Kathy, it's not just enough to to want to be in these states of calm, certain, and confident, mm-hmm. but there are steps that you, you recommend. There are steps that we took. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things... There are one of the things for sure. I mean, there's worksheets that we did, but one of the things that I took away and you mentioned it already is to not look at what I called the bigger tournaments as any different than my regular Saturday morning tournament where I feel calm, certain and confident all, all the way through. I, I never really now it's just you and I again. It's like we were. But, I know. Deja vu. But, 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 but I want you to talk to our audience about there are there are there's a methods. There are things you can do to get to those states and practice being in them. Yes. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think there's I always encourage my clients to work on things. And we talked about this, too, on things off the golf course as well as on the golf course, because it's you have one brain. So you want to learn the skill as well off the golf course as you can on. Then I also talk about how I I have people go through a, a 
a pre-round preparation and a post-round evaluation. And in part of the post-round evaluation is going through some of the stages of awareness, which is we can notice things after the fact. That's the, the, the first stage. You might sit there and go, oh man, you know, on number six, I was totally, you know, thinking about this and I was all stressed out. And you, we notice them. But if we're not curious, if you're not willing to take a look, then they just stay in the background and you keep producing the same results over and over again. So part of that post-round evaluation is to sit there and go, all right, what could I have done differently in that situation? How could I have thought differently? What could I have done at that moment? What tools do I like to use? There definitely are tools to get you back up into the front part of your brain where you can redirect and not be back in that primitive brain where you can't think very clearly and you have high emotions. So there are tools that I definitely share with people on to to use uh, so that you can calm, get yourself back to calm or relax your body. Um, But going through this, so going through those stages of awareness, deciding, okay, I could have done something differently in that point. What is it? Then you learn, right? Then what's going to happen is you're going to be in this moment. You're going to be, all right, this is, let's say, for instance, you had three groups backed up on the, you know, on a par three. And you know, because you went through some of these steps, you're like, this is the moment in time in my story where I start thinking about my results and my score. And I'm going to start, I'm going to start overthinking. So I have a strategy of what I can do in those moments. So you're aware of it um, while it's happening. Mm -hmm. And that one is actually a better example. Your third stage is where you get ahead of it which is actually what that happens there. So yes, and but everybody's individual, right? You want to find the things that work for you and you want to practice them on and off the golf courses. The better you get at managing your mind, then the faster the process gets. Timmy, you kind of got stuck there and you're back now. So I want to give you an opportunity to kind of re-ask where you were going with Kathy. And your mic is off. Turn your mic on. There we go. There we go. And you're back. Um, yeah, I was just asking about um, what kind of on-course strategies do you advise people to use when they catch themselves in in a state, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you, is it about some thoughts they could have or some physical cues? What what types of things do you advise people to do? Well, you, you know, you had said shame. A lot of times, shame is not one of those emotions that people really notice right away. It's one right. of those ones that kind of stews around in the background. I kind of call it like it's this sludgy feeling. I lived in a lot of golf shame. So I know exactly what it feels like, but I didn't realize it was something that I had any power or control over. So one of the things is really being aware of your emotions. When people can tune in and just sit there and go, okay, this is, this is, I'm feeling pressure. That is so helpful because most of the time they don't notice it. But some different tools, which I was alluding to uh, a second ago, is just different ways that you can get back up to the front part of your brain so you can focus clearly at that moment. Yes, we don't always have time to sit there and go, you know, have an opportunity to, you know, I have people dump their thoughts out and decide what they want to think. But I also suggest that you do write things that work for you, phrases, I call them power phrases or caddy phrases that you like to say to yourself in those moments. And I suggest you write them down on a card and put them in your bag. And while that might seem kind of dorky, the reason is, is just like I described earlier, is because when you're feeling pressure or frustration or anger, you shut off access to the part of your brain that you're, you can remember that. And you're going to be like, yeah, what was that thing that I like to say to myself? We just don't, it's, we just don't have access to it. So you want to find things that work for you. So you can come up with power phrases or caddy phrases. There's some different tools for sure. Breathing is a, something that a lot of people do. I do five, uh, I do 
five, four, three, two, one breathing, which really helps us get back up to the front part of our brain. There's different tactical things that you can do, just like rubbing your the Velcro on the back of your glove so slowly that you feel every like little nick. The things that bring you that, back to the present tense. Yes, that brings using you back your, to the front part of your brain. Using your sensations. Right. Yes. And any sensation that resonates with you, touch. Um, your sight, your hearing, smell, if that's around, you know, fresh cut grass or something like that. But one of the things about Kathy and, and working with Kathy, as I did for a couple months, there's it's all it's all pre it's stuff that you can do before you get to the golf course. And and I'm just looking at some of our some of the things that you share with me and, and just like the pre round evaluation, just a couple of these. What's the situation I want to change my thoughts or feel better about? What am I currently thinking or feeling? What will happen to my performance if I keep feeling and thinking that way? Just I like the idea of being proactive so that when I get in those situations, especially as a tournament player, and when I got into some of the situations this summer, I was calm, certain and confident. And there were some situations where it was just Mike, all my C's were chaos, <laughs> chaos, chaos and chaos. Yeah. But that's, I think, typical of a lot of golfers. We have moments where we are thinking more clearly and you, your premise and your hypothesis is in, in those moments, it's because you've, you've, you're, you're thinking correctly and you're, and you're sort of harnessing your own emotions. It can be, but there's also days where uh, two things I want to talk about this. There's also days that are, I call them green light days and red light days. So green light days are where, you know, the sky is blue, the weather's perfect for you. You have your perfect pairing. The course is in a great shape. You love the weather. You know, you're swinging pretty good. You're like, and people come to me like, those are the days that I want. My mind was really quiet and everything just seems so easy. Right. And I describe those, those are green light days, but that's not life. And that's not golf, right? We're going to have red light days. And what happens if you don't know how to manage the red light days, you're going to get the rug pulled out from underneath you and then you're going to be on the golf course feeling really out of control and having some huge numbers so when we can anticipate that today's just a red light day it's like not going i'm catching every red light things are a little bit harder it's going to take more effort my brain is chirping at me a little bit more the more empowered you are and know exactly how to handle it and we don't make it a big deal this is what most people do is they're like oh my god it's like everything is just crazy today this is a problem when we can just accept it that this is part of the process and this is part of golf, then we can take the temperature down on it and and our brain becomes a little bit less dramatic. The other thing I wanted to bring up is that because I have so many people write into me and, and make comments in social media that they were calm, certain, and confident all day. And technically, I'm not really, you can hold one emotion at one time. I'm not encouraging people to be all three at one time. I'm saying any one of those works. And they're, so if you can't be confident, confident isn't always available to us. We can't be very, sometimes our golf game comes and goes. We can be confident in ourselves and our ability to manage our mind and the ability to have our own back and to make decisions. So we can always build on that confidence. But when that comes, when you're confident, you just want to ride that sucker out. But certainty is one of those things that you can build. I call it like certainty stacking. Doing the pre-round evaluation is a way that gives me certainty. There's other things that we can do um, on how you prepared for the round, how much you showed up, how you went through practice. There's lots of things that you want to do that helps create certainty relying on your pre-shot routine. Calm is one of those things that might not guys might not be able to relate to as much as it's there's a ways that we can get calm but there's also physically ways that you can let your um 
tension out of your out of your body, right? I can get calm through some breathing, but it's like the manicure thing. When people go in and get a manicure and they're like someone the manicures is always hitting their hand to relax, right? We can you'll you can you can relate to something, I'm sure, but you can <laughs> physically take the tension out of your arms. Yes. Right. <laughs> you'll find something. Right. You can physically take the tension out of your arms. So you can just sit there and let that air out a little bit. That's something that you can do to help you create a little bit more calmness. Kathy, I want to go back to what you were saying earlier about green light days and red light days. And what I often find with golfers is that on a red light day, they're trying to find that thing that that worked mm-hmm. be- for them before. But I often find that all I do is spin their wheels. Mm-hmm. In essence, are you talking about having an awareness that uh, today's maybe one of those days and how you adapt to that? And how and it, it starts with an awareness. What's your sense of, of that role of adaptation? Yeah, I always like to really be conscious of the things that I can control and I can't control. So, you know, weather, slow play, people chatting in my group, like all the things. And this is the way that I describe it is it, when you wake up any day, you are given us everybody's a little bit different. You're giving poker chips of concentration and focus and mental energy. And you want to be very deliberate and decisive about where you give your poker chips. Like, do I want to complain about that the beverage cart hasn't been here for three holes? Do I want to complain that the bag uh, staff lost my head cover? Do I want to give them a chip? Right. You want to be very um, you, you stingy with your chips because when the round runs out or you have more difficult days, you want to be prepared. This is why sometimes it's a little more challenging to have a full work day where you've spent all your mental energy and then you go out there and you're wondering why you can't focus and concentrate. You know, I'm, I'm picking up on that and it's you know something we've said, I, I do this bit. That human beings have this idea that every day is going to be the day. This, that today will be the day nothing bad happens. Mm-hmm. And it's the expectation as golfers that, you know, I, and I think I've talked about this with you, Kathy, a little bit that I used to kind of want to sneak up on golf. Like I didn't really want golf to know I was there for a couple holes to, to give me a chance to get, you know, and I would play like that in tournaments. I'd be like three over after four. And I'd be like, what happened? Because I was sort of a little bit tentative. Whereas, you know, I, I expect, I fully expect on the first tee today that anything could happen. And it's the expectation that, oh, look, it's a red light day. And where the tension with a lot of golfers comes is fighting the fact that you, there are going to be days. It's just not going to be your day. You said that to me. It can't be your day every day, but it's how you handle those days that turn the 79s into 76s as opposed to shooting 87 and now the, the tournament's over. And so I think expectation has a lot to do with it. And some of the stuff about pre and post round evaluations and you encouraged me to journal them, it, it just gets that kind of out in the open and, and you're, you're a bit more, I don't know, versant in some of the ups and downs of your emotions on any given day. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're just so much more aware of what's going on in your head. You know, I say you can't read the label from inside a bottle. So getting it out on a piece of paper, you'll sit there and go, oh, wow, I can't believe that thought's been in my head because it could be running the show without your having that awareness. Yeah. But some of the expectations that really get in people's way, I call it like you're wearing 
you're playing with a weighted raincoat on. And it's it's what's going to happen at the end of the round when you sign your scorecard. Are you going to give yourself a spanking? So it's like, you know, you can picture little kids. My da- Okay, my dad did this to us. Like, like he would sit there and go, he'd tell us to go get the hairbrush. He'd, he'd spank us with his hairbrush. Right? We'd cry going to get, get the hairbrush in the anticipation of getting of getting a spanking, right? So we give ourselves spankings at the end of an 18 holes. And if that is hanging out for you, waiting for you, and you're going to beat the crap out of yourself, and then you're going to feel crappy for a couple of days, and you're going to shame yourself, you're going to put so much more pressure on your round the whole day. You're going to put pressure on yourself to perform well, whether it's on your putting or full swing to hit it closer to make birdies. And you feel this heaviness all day. And that heaviness or that weighted raincoat, and especially if we add shame during the round, keeps you from swinging your best golf. So when we can lessen our expectations and know that at the end of the round, we're not going to spank ourselves and we're not going to beat ourselves up and that we can, we're willing to be disappointed because it's going to happen and we can deal with it. It takes 90 seconds to process an emotion. If I can go through it for 90 seconds and just know how to deal with my emotions, I won't have to drag it out for two days mm-hmm. or three days. And that's the difference. When we can take that off, then the, then the whole round becomes so much lighter. Kathy, you've shared a lot of amazing information with us today. But if you had, say, one practice that our listeners could take from today's um, uh, chat with you, what would it be? Because my sense is that golfers are constantly getting all kinds of information from everywhere, right? Social media, they watch YouTube, they see you know Martin Hall and Golf Channel. But what is say one or two practices that you think your clients uh that basically our listeners and your clients could take away um that could really do some good for them well i think you know i i taught for years and the minute and whenever someone had a club in their hand right it was the problem was always going to be their golf swing so I got away from take, I took the club out of their hand and that's why I help people through Zoom so you can think about your thoughts. So the minute you are thinking that this problem is your swing, when we start searching for solutions, I just want you to put the club down for a minute and just really be aware of what you're thinking. And one of the best ways to go about doing that is a post-round evaluation, which just means take five minutes and just ask yourself, what did I do well? And I like you to focus not so much on what shot you hit well. Like, you know, that was an unbelievable five iron I hit through the tree branches and up to it bounced through the bunker. And, you know, what, what, that's not, I'm not interested in, in that as much. I think that's good for your brain to hear. But I would like more for you to focus on how you managed your mind in those moments. Like, what did I do right. well? Like, somebody said words to me and that was, and I pivoted and I got, you know, I didn't let it bother me and then what didn't i do so well which i talked a little bit about list those out you know i let these things bother me or i was a little stressed there and then just ask yourself what could i do different at that moment just like i talked about before and all of those steps what they do is they give you so much more awareness about what's happening on the golf course and how you're holding yourself back and you're building some um like a bank of things to do differently so the next time it happens what i love about that is that it connects back to what Howard and you were talking about at the start of our, our our chat here today was that how we show up in golf is how we show up in life mm-hmm. and how we show yes. up in life is how we show up in golf and by doing that kind of post round evaluation I think just as you said you, we bring increased awareness to the patterns that we habitually go and, and the behaviors that they keep showing up even though we don't like them yeah. and 
I just think that I, I it just I just wanted to reiterate is that it's through that increased awareness of oh I'm doing that again, mm-hmm. and yes. so that then it becomes it comes to our awareness that much quicker, and now we can respond and and do something differently. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's not like o- overnight. Uh, on the golf course, the, you want to build up your bank. Like if you haven't been doing this for a while, so that over time you're like, this is my pattern. Most of us are going to have patterns uh, or personality types or things that this is, I have a tendency to do this, where they're going to have anger or anxiety or perfectionist, people pleasing. These are things that get in our way and they're going to get in our way on the golf course. And when you can know your patterns a little bit, because you've gone through awareness, then you build up the tools so that you can get much quicker to uh, get yourself back to one of the three C's and and perform better. Well, I would tell you as we say goodbye. You know, there's there's a a few the a few Kathy Hartwood sayings. That one about reading the label from inside the bottle. I say that, and I, I said to somebody recently, I said, "Well, you know what? You can't open up people's heads and manipulate what they're thinking," which is. One of the things yeah. we talked about, because I was yeah. like, you know, because I, I, you know, as a guy that posts a lot of scores where other people can see them, and Kathy has said to me, well, how do you know what those people are going to think about you as a golfer? You can't open up their heads. And I was like, I'm going to use that on everybody. So <laughs> Kathy Hartwood wants you to find the state where you can think clearly and make your best swings uh, and hit as many shots from that state as possible. I can just tell you, Liz, if you're listening, I spent a couple months uh, talking to Kathy. It was great. Uh, I would look forward to another chat from time to time. KathyHartwood.com. And Kathy's podcast is 10 to 15 minute bite size. Listen to them on the way to the golf course today. Search above par. And it's all sort of bite sized Kathy Hartwood stuff. I got to tell you, I really am so looking forward to having you on the show. Yeah, and so uh, I hope it was a somewhat enjoyable for you. You know, I can't oh, tell. No, this is fun. I love it. Yeah, I love talking this stuff. Listen, I have people who reach out like, can I use some of my, you know, the nuggets that I say? Of course. I'm like, spread the love. The more people who know how to manage their mind and feel better, the everybody's better. Exactly. So I love it. Yeah. Well, um, thanks again. We ho- and from time to time, we'd like to pop, you know, have you pop in again. There's so many other things I have to ask you. But again, thank you very much. And uh, all the best to you, Kathy. All right, Howard. Thanks, Kathy. Nice to meet you. Yeah, thanks so Great much, stuff. you guys. All I right. was nervous having Kathy on the show. Stop. I was, because, uh, you know, I find Kathy very uh, nice. Kathy's Bye. a nice person. Bye, Kathy. Okay, well, now that she's gone, you know, she's, you know, she's, you know, she's a very nice person. That's all. You know, take that for what it is. She is, uh, is she attractive? Yes. Okay, Tim. So I said it. Yeah. Okay. She's very nice. Yeah. And she's really um, smart. She is. Is she related to Dudley Hart? Dudley Hart's her sister. Really? Yeah. I told you that. That's so cool. Yeah. I told you that long ago when I first started working with her. That. Yeah. She's uh, part of the Hart family. Um, and if you go and search her podcast, she had Dudley on a couple of times. It's very interesting. Cool. So Kathy be about our age, I yeah, think. Yeah, you know, maybe in, in our age category. Might be a little younger than us. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she played professionally. She was on the LPGA, and then she was like a typical teacher. Well, oh, by the way, uh, before I forget, uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca, I, I remind people that's where you can find out all kinds of stuff that Tim's doing. But Tim wrote a blog this week, and uh, I want everyone to go and uh, look at it. 
It's about our friend George McNamara. I thought it was very. First of all, it's very nicely written. You seem to have a. Well, thank a you. you seem to have a talent for that kind of thing, and um, so it's well written. But it's a great article about George and his transformation, kind of like Kathy, from sort of a standard stock teacher to you know evolving into more of a shoemaker style self discovery. And what I loved about what Kathy said that ties into George is, you know, anytime you've got a golf club in your hand, you think the problem is your swing. And I thought that was great. So, yeah, Yeah. go look. And bravo. uh, Congratulations on a beautiful tribute to your friend George, our friend George. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. Um, And it was interesting. I got an email this morning. Uh, from a fellow who's been participating in a, in this Golf is Life group uh, that I run. We meet once a month, and it's just like Kathy was talking about, you know, how we show up in golf is how we show up in life, and how we show up in the rest of our life is how we show up in, in golf. So that's the tough type of stuff we explore. But the, the, the fellow was saying that he read, he read the blog, and then he was on the he was on the range with a, a friend of his, and the guy was saying, like, why do I hit it so high all the time? And the guy was completely unaware that as he hit the ball, he sort of tipped back. And he just he just talked to the guy about exploring that a little bit more. And the guy started to understand what was going on for him. So I think the thing that's so interesting is that we often think that the answer is outside of ourselves. We have to find it on YouTube or from an instructor. And so much of it is just like from our own experience and mm-hmm. just being aware of what's actually happening. And so that was so much of the uh, wonderful stuff that I got from George. And really, I think, uh, uh, you know, aside from Fred Shoemaker, George McNamara is one of the the biggest influences on on my coaching. Mm -hmm. Well, then you will really, well, first of all, again, thanks for the article on George. Uh, Kathy, uh, I'm on her mailing list, and I just just saw a thing I got from her yesterday as, you know, one of her subscribers. And um, what I like about her stuff is it's very, very specific. And what I mean by that, it's not, you know, for instance, this week's episode is called, Which Golf Personality Are You? And yeah, it talks, I listened to it this morning. You know what I mean? And, and she, but it's very, we can all relate. She says there are six golf traits. The anxious, ass, the anxious athlete, the perfect player, the angry am or the pissed pro, the people-pleasing player, the choking chopper, the doubtful duffer. Now, it's cute and everything, but if you're listening, you're somewhere in that category. 100%. Um, but what I like about her podcast, if you've heard it, it's very simple. It's 10 or 12 minutes of her basically just doing what she just did. She's got a good rap on her, and um, and I'll just be honest. I, this wasn't a freebie. I paid her uh, real U.S. dollars for five sessions, and at, initially I reached out because I was feeling pretty crappy, and I wanted to talk to somebody about how my emotional state was influencing how I felt about golf, and it was, he was the perfect person for me. Great. And uh, five sessions over probably two months. And by the time it was over, it's not done, but like I, I would definitely engage her again because she's such, she's, she's got such experience. She's played high, high level tournament golf, but she's also had her own challenges. You know, she had some trouble with her putting and, you know, uh, one of the reasons it led her to where she is much like yourself is that she thought she thought there had to be a better way to 
to be to show up in the world of golf that didn't include learning how to hit or chip it better. Right. And what's interesting to me is that, as Izzy said, maybe about seven, eight times last week in our chat, was that so much of this is counterintuitive. It's not what the golf instruction industry puts out to us is that always the salvation is in something in your backswing <laughs> or something you need you need to do correctly which is usually on a range you know hitting balls and all that kind of thing so it's still very counterintuitive like what she was talking about when and I have this all the time with clients I work with who were staying on a range and they'll start thinking well I'm doing this and I just say let's just let's not hit any golf shots for a bit Let's just talk about what's going on mm-hmm. and bring some increased awareness to what uh, of kind of their habitual modes of of thinking and where they go and their and their feelings about it. And yeah, you need awareness about what your body's doing and and those kinds of things. But it's still, as Doctor Izzy said, it's it's in many ways it's counterintuitive. It's the same way as talking to a lot of men. Oh, you've got to be more vulnerable. You use language like that with most guys, and they run away. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm not doing that. <laughs> less, less so, I think, as the generations go on. And I think it's also become oh, agree, more, yeah. you know, 20 years ago when I first started reading about all this, I didn't know anyone like you. I, You know, it's true, though. Like, I, in 1995, I read Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. And I really didn't have, you know, that many people to discuss that esoteric existential crisis of golf. And I that's why I read so many books about it, because... Once I read one, I was like, oh, this may be why I'm a fucking asshole to play with. You know, really, like this, this might be why I have a scratch golfer's golf swing, but I have trouble breaking 80 some days. Well, I mean, I'm going to give you two stories. You can choose which one you want first. They are in a chronological order, but if you choose the second one first, I will, I will be fine. I have two okay. stories. Uh, it's not a door number one, door number two. Story thing. number one is about a uh, a moment after last week's show with Dr. Izzy. I went out to men's night. So the story is about I almost quit in the round of golf. Almost quit. That's story number one. And story, right. no- story number two is something happened to me on Saturday in a little mini tournament that I've never experienced before. And it happened three times on the back nine. Three different times. Oh, definitely going with uh, the story number two, because over the course of about s- seven years of podcasts, we've heard the almost quit stuff a few times. <laughs> okay. All right. Easy now. <laughs> but not since I became GSL, God Spiritual Leader. I, um, well, here's what's interesting is that on Saturday, in a typical round, I've been working on, I should give you some context. I really, really really been working on my golf swing a lot you know since the ontario senior am in sarnia i've taken uh the last month literally really really hard look at what i'm doing uh when i hit it left so lots of can you just so what's what are you working on just well, I, 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 my, my miss, like a lot of better players, is a pull hook. The problem yeah. with pull hooking it is under pressure, it, it, it's so exaggerated that it can often put you out of the hole. And I was just looking back at my tournament season and, you know, like I just wanted to readdress what I'm doing and get some 
some work in on it, and, I, and plus I enjoy it. But so you know, is that a mechanical thing? You're yes. On? Well, yeah, it's okay. a the main mechanical thing. It's like, you know, like a lot of good players, sometimes it's like, where's the ball? Where are you aimed? Et cetera, et cetera. So knowing that, I go out on Saturday and I was playing in this little tournament we have every week, but it's a tournament. There's 50 guys. There's money. Everyone, there's no gimmies. It's like a, your score counts, et cetera. Yep. Um, sort of out of nowhere, like I'm two under through eight holes, like playing pretty decent. And then I kind of block this short iron like a nine iron it was weird because it was like not really like me and i get in one of those glen karen pot bunkers can't get out make a double no big deal next tee shot i kind of block it i'm not going to take you through the full round and then a couple holes later i I shank right (laughs) i shank a shot i haven't shanked a golf ball on a golf course since 2015 I'm playing in the uh, Canadian mid-am, and I shanked a four-iron. I, I, I remember. That's how free, infrequently it happened. So I was like, oh, wow, that's... But you can remember exact moments. Of course I can. Shanks are, the, shanks are traumatic. So I shank one. on. It's like a par three, nine-iron in my hand. And I shank it, and I was like, well, that's odd. And then on the next hole, I've got like 120 in. i got a pitching wedge in my hand. I shank that. I was like, wow, that's weird. And then a couple holes later, I do it again. And um, but here was the cool part of it because it was it was such an outlier for me. It was so weird that I my reaction to it was sort of a bemused detachment. Awesome. And it I led to three different doubles. I went. I shot. So I was two under after eight, and I shot eighty that day. I shot thirty-seven forty-three. But I, um, the good, the good news about it was I went in after had lunch and like, I just couldn't, I didn't relate to it in any emotional way at all. Like it was the weirdest feeling like to a lot of people, it might be one of the worst things that they could do on a golf course. But to me, it was so weird that I didn't take it. And this is going to sound strange, especially given your experience. I didn't take. And my first experience golfing with you, as, as everyone knows, Shankasaurus Rex. I didn't. The weirdest thing, and I'm going to say, is I didn't take it personally. And I thought, well, I don't have to take any of this personally. If I can let that kind of come and go, the last hole of the day, I hit driver four iron to a par five to thirty feet. So I was still hitting it decent, but. And then I talked over with my buddy Henrik. I said, "Why would you? What would you imagine? How could that happen?" And he went on to tell me that when he was on tour, he spent a couple of months, every so often in tournaments, this would show up. And he said, "Howard, if I showed you on an iron how close a shank is to flushing it, you wouldn't believe it." Because what most people don't understand, as he said, is the sweet spot of the of the, of a short iron, especially a shorter club, is so close to that hosel. Anyway, so that's my Shankasaurus story. But the, my, my takeaway was, it just didn't affect me. And I'm the one that could be most affected by that. I was just so curious about it. And that's what it was. It was like a curious detachment. That's cool. What, what say you, uh, friend of golf spiritual leader? <laughs> um, well, that's awesome. Um, I just have to say that I think that 
you have uh, you have so ascended, young man. Uh, <laughs> that's why you're the GSL. But in all seriousness, I think it's a matter of of maturity. But also, you've been you've been working on this stuff for a while, and like we talked about with with Kathy, you just don't take some knowledge and apply it. I was gonna, I forget who it was we were joking with. Um, oh, I've learned to do this in my golf, so tomorrow I'll just apply it and I'll shoot sixty eight. That's not the way golf works. It's not from this 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 knowledge. As Fred Shoemaker would say, you know, knowledge is the the understanding is the booby prize. It's it's going through experiences and more experiences, and then you start to get a sense of, oh, okay, this is what's happening. And and I think that you know, like what I'm talking about is so often people talk about acceptance and detachment. Oh yeah, I'll just accept whatever happens. Well, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if you've not dealt with it over and over and over again. Why do, why do certain people do things really well? They have higher awareness because they've been doing these things more and more and more. So that's just a very long way of saying you've been focusing on this type of stuff for a long while. And I think partially being 62-year-old man helps with that too, that you don't succumb to the story and you you just don't come to this place of of rage and you know cortisol flooding through your bloodstream. Well, you know our our very first trial for people who are new to the show. I mean, I know that we've got some hundred percenters, but for anyone that's new, the very first time, and and probably one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen, especially, and I'll tell you why it was impressive, is because given the context of our budding friendship. We've been talking golf. We've been talking mental performance. We've been sharing stories, people you've worked with and covered. And, you know, we told each other all our golf stories. And then we went out to golf for the first time. And you shanked about a dozen times that day. And the equanimity you showed. From number four to 15 at Glencairn. It was quite something. Every iron shot. Yeah. It was impressive. But was most impressive to me as an observer of the human condition was just, I thought, wow. I thought to myself it a couple times after you did it, and I'm like, is this really who he is? Because I'd be fucking losing my mind right now. But it turned out that's who you were and are, that you were able to accept it. And I'm sure it was embarrassing, and you had some shame around it, and you were thinking, here, I want to impress this you know, morning guy that I'm going to be friends with and maybe do a sh-. I mean, you know, all kinds of shit that we, we all think. But I was so impressed by that. Um, and I guarantee you, if that had happened to me and not you, it would have been a different, at the time, it would have been a different scenario. You know, years later, I could shank it three times in six holes and kind of go, well, that's something you don't see every day. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Well, I, that's what I take from you. It's like, <laughs> like when I hit a, like a, a crazy shot, I, I've borrowed your lines as. Well, that just happened. <laughs> that just happened. <laughs> That's something you don't see every day. No, exactly. But uh, again, coming back to the the awareness thing, is that what I what I became aware of, and it was actually later, was how the how things, um, how I react to things. So I'm not sure I ever told you this one before, but. Um, there was something that went on when when you and I first started to hang out together, uh, doing the podcast and in golf. 
remember one time I was on the range at Glen Abbey, and I think that we had arranged to meet, or you would just were just it just happened to be that we were practicing at the same place on the same day. So I'm hitting some iron shots, and I hear "Hey Timmer" or something. I turn around, and there's you. I hit another shot. Immediately, <laughs> shame. <laughs> and I just there was just something went on. Wow, this guy Howard does something to me. That's right. It it really does. And so that was really it was edu- educational. I thought about that, and I you know I probably journaled on it and that kind of stuff because that's what I do. And I just got a better sense of there's in certain situations, certain people. And in situations, in a tournament, on the first tee, that oh, I'm I'm sli- sliding back into this thing again. This I'm I'm having these feelings. I'm having these recurring thoughts, and just that awareness. Coming back to the another Fredism, mm-hmm. awareness is curative. Yeah, and just being aware of it. And so, um, yeah. But I just love the fact that you are now able to just sort of laugh at that because that's you know you hit a three shanks in a round and you shot 80 well and you're you're a plus handicap well hell uh thanks for confirming your humanity no and i appreciate you saying that um i know you've heard howard was going to quit stories but not for a while uh a and i was here's the thing i just wanted to i just want to give you this scenario because again it, it has to do with people being intimidated to play with other people so i was uh i was playing with uh a guy that you know works with me on my golf swing coach nick Tricilio, high high level player big coach yeah and so it was him and i another guy who's a scratch golfer so there's three of us that have handicaps of scratch or better and then another guy who's a decent player and here i think this is a part i think people will relate to and i'll tell you why i was going to quit or how I started to feel that. So Nick, the first six holes we played, Nick's four under through six. He had an eagle and two birdies. The other guy is two under through six. The decent player is probably a couple over, having a normal round for him. And then there's the how man, who is four over through six holes. Had a couple of kind of a funky, couple of funky breaks. This was the, before the Shankathon. So I had a couple of funky breaks. I had a couple of three putts. And then as we're leaving the sixth hole, I'm, you know, I'm 10 shots back of Nick, <laughs> you know, eight shots back of Nick. And as we were going across this bridge, I started thinking to myself, I said, like, I, I oh, I know what it was. I can't, I couldn't, I, for some reason, I looked in my bag. I couldn't find my keys. I'm thinking, oh, car no, keys. car keys. I'm like, oh, shit, Ooh. what am I going to do? Yeah. And I'm walking to the seventh tee. I'm like, ah, oh, crap, you know. And then I thought, oh, great. If I can't find my keys, then I can, I can go, I can quit now and go get, because I'd have to arrange for a, a tow and somebody get my friend to come I and bring me a key. I can use this. Advantage. could use this. And then I found them in another, like, you know, typical old guy. I never put them in this place that I found them. I just happened to put them there. So I'm like, damn, now I can't quit. (laughs) And here's what it turned it around for me. I had this thought. I thought, okay, dude, you've made four bogeys in a round of golf before. Maybe 
and this is kind of a little bit of Kathy training. I redirected it. I thought, okay, maybe you've made all your bogeys today. I just had this funny little thought. Maybe that's, maybe those, because I would typically make four-ish bogeys in a round, more or less. And so I thought, okay, maybe you've made all your bogeys. And then I hit a shitty drive, an indifferent second shot, but I two-putted from about 50 feet. And for some reason, that gave me the little bit of a, okay, I didn't three-putt that because I had just three-putted a couple holes before. And then Timmer, I played the next five holes four under par. I played from the time I decided not to quit. I made five birdies in the last 12 holes and shot 72, which was the same number as the pro and was better than the guy that was two under when I was four over. The moral of the story is, yes, I'm good at golf. Ha ha. No, the moral is that I was open to the idea, just a little tiny crack, a tiny crack opened in my brain that you know, sort of saying, maybe I've made all my bogeys. The possibility existed that I could make some some birdies or I was going to have an opportunity to play a little bit better. And as I said to one of my guys, I said, you know, once you say I'm done for the day, well, we're, that's 100% guarantee that you are. But as long as that little crack exists, you just, I mean, you've heard me say it on the show. You never know when the next hole is going to be the beginning of the best series of holes you've played all summer. Well, in my case, Timmer, I made three birdies in a row. I birdied four or five holes. I mean, like that's the biggest, that three birdies, by the way, is my longest birdie streak of the summer. Mm. So I went from thinking I should quit. I can't find my keys to when I made the fourth birdie. I'm like, well, dude, look at you. You're even par now, you know, and the, and the, the takeaway for me, if I were listening, is that, you know, I have given up or almost given up a bunch of times, but the more I don't, the more evidence, and that's another Kathy thing, the more evidence I'm giving my brain that not giving up can lead, not necessarily will, but certainly the opportunity to lead to better outcomes exists. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a lot there. No, no. Well, I, we all, this all happens to all of us. These things happen. It's like, oh my God, this is terrible. I mean, like, you know, you could be at a, at a party and there's, and there's somebody there who drives you nuts and you just, you want to leave or you want to do something like evasive action. And again, to what Kathy was saying, it's, it's not unlike sticking your head out of the cave to look for the saber toothed tiger and you're looking for an excuse because you're trying to survive. And that's what we do. I mean, and there's nothing wrong. It's not a character flaw to go, oh, my God, this is awful. I hate this. <laughs> that's right. I want to quit. Oh, this could be a convenient excuse. Yeah. You know, I had that. I, I had that happen to me a couple of weeks ago. Again, I, I was six over after five. And I should probably just go to the range. Today's over. And I caught myself. <laughs> Again, awareness curative. And, yeah. and and that's what you did. You had some awareness and, and you got on with it. And one of the things I just find more and more is just, again, we get caught in our stories and start in, and we start this inward 
uh, grinding mm-hmm. and comparing and evaluating and oh I wish and what about him and all this and once we start doing that shit we just start losing access to our skill and our experience because this is it all just it's god it's just like in grinding inside and you just can't perform when you're like that well and it's but you know kind of get outside of it go oh, wait a sec let that effing go. Well, we all do it, whether you're playing with somebody that just made it. Like, on one of the holes at Nick Eagle, this is a par five. I um, I can't remember why I made bogey. Maybe I made a kind of a terrible. Like, I, I, I was in the rough on on in three, and I made a kind of a mediocre pitch on two putter for six. And he makes three. It's impossible, especially... You know, you wanted to play. I wanted to play well. I like to play well, and and I'm like, you know, so he's making eagle. I make bogey. You know what I mean? Like it's impossible not to compare yourself. And I was aware that, you know, that I was kept making bogeys, and everyone around me was making eagles and birdies. And yeah, that will leach into your game. It absolutely does. Yeah, I I will challenge you though. On yeah, go ahead. It's it's not. um, You said something about it's not it's almost like you can't help but compare yourself. Um, well, I don't think it's the right thing to do, but I think it happens to all of us. I think, I th- I think it does. I think it does happen. But then what we then do, and, and that's, yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, we're always comparing our, ourselves, but then what do you do? And it's, and it's really to let go. And it's just, there are just, there's too much in golf that, that can, it's so much. I mean, that's one of the things I think I was talking to my son Corey yesterday about this guy Scott Fawcett, is that he's brought some sanity to the game. You know, apart from faxing gate and all that stuff. Yeah, is the idea that so much of it is based on luck and serendipity, and you yep. just never know what's going to happen. And you know, it might just be that Nick Trachilio and whatever shot he hit, that that you know, as the ball was say bounding up onto the green. You know, and if it had gone two inches to the right, it would have bounded, say, into a bunker. I'm yep. just riffing here. No, I get but it. But it happened to bounce up onto the green. And he just happened to make the putt. You know, the hole got in the way. And he made an eagle, and you make a bogey. And so there's just, there's like a... But if he'd made a birdie, it may not have stung as much. It made a par, not a big deal. No. But again, it's like, how much meaning do we attach to all this stuff? And basically, it's, you know, it's hitting a a piece of rubber in a park if you get right down to it you know one of the things kathy uh you know again i was talking to her about i had some rounds where you know i made some late round bogeys and she said to me yeah where the bogeys come or where a bad hole shows up is just you know it's what you said it's a it's so random and if you make a bogey on the last couple holes doesn't mean you're a choker and if you make because she said to me you know like if you made those holes if you bogeyed 11 and 12 it wouldn't have had the same meaning as finishing off with bogey bogey so when i said to myself well maybe those are all the bogeys i'm gonna make today it just brought me back to the front part of my brain where i was like okay okay well here i am and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna fit. I'm not gonna quit. I'm gonna finish, and let's just see what will happen. Now, sure, it's a better story that I literally had my longest birdie streak of the summer, and and birdied four or five holes. That's cool, but I was I was in a mode where at least that was possible. Whereas a lot of my modes have been where that's not possible, and uh, I think for a lot of golfers, whether you're a scratch or twenty handicap, you know. A lot of the stuff that she talks about, I've got this stuff in front of me. And one of the things she says is, 
you know, what, what are other players, how do you feel about what other players are doing? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a group, is there a guy in the group that bugs you? You know, we've talked about that. The guy that called me professor, commander, doctor, you know, what about the guy whose first words to me in the tournament where I forgot my tooth and it went downhill from there, you know, like is the round the hunt club. Yeah. There is there a rain <laughs> delay. Someone in the group is cheating. Like I played in yeah. a group recently. Wow. It was the weirdest kind of cheating where the guy was, and it was a weird thing. Like he's a really nice person. It was a pretty serious tournament and he kept marking his ball about an inch ahead of his marker. And I said to my partner, I was playing, I was like, well, that's weird, but they were so far out of it that I didn't care. But what I did is I, I recognized that that thing could get aggravating. I thought it was weird because what is the advantage of doing it? It's literally a ball forward of where your ball is, but he did it every time. So my solution was acknowledge it. I find it irritating and weird. Irritating is the wrong word. I just found it curious. So I just did the, for my own self-preservation, I just stopped watching it. Exactly. Exactly. That, I, went, that's well, the, I, I remember you it. saying that. I remember you telling me that when I first started playing in tournaments about three years ago, you would just say, don't watch the other players, particularly if you find them annoying or, yeah, let it go. or something. And that, that's, that's a great piece. But uh, awareness is curative. And that's kind of her thing is like, be aware, you know, the pre-round you know, journaling, the post-round journaling, it's, you know, we've said the same, again, we're back to things we've said before, but they're really important. <laughs> if you want to score better, by the way, and enjoy yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, being, uh, I forget where I was going to go. I was going to say, do you want to finish off with just a quick, quick little, because uh, a lot of people have asked me, they've asked you, I'm sure, but I got a lot of uh STDs and friends of the show uh, texting me and asking me about Fawcett. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So as soon as you remember what you were going to say, jump back in. But a lot of people are aware that Scott Fawcett during uh, Zalatoris' win a couple weeks ago, uh, Zalatoris just announced he's out of the rest of the season because of a bad back herniated disc or something. But during that win of Wills, uh, Scott kind of went off on Brad Faxon and Dan Hicks. Dan Hicks, he was trying to be funny. It wasn't, it wasn't a very good attempt, but he called Dan Hicks a fuckface, and he got mad at Faxon. And if you just looked at those tweets, it, it, and the first I'd heard of it is somebody's texting me saying, hey, your, boy's, uh, your boy Fawcett's gone crazy. And I went and looked at the tweets, and it seemed... You know, that Scott was a bit unhinged. Mm-hmm. And so he put out a video to Decade members uh, and, and some people. He sent it to me directly. He basically sent to me saying, hey, if you're on this list, it's because I've had some interaction with you personally. And I wanted to give you some context. And basically, it's a video where he explains he apologizes, but he gives he gives a background as to why he and Faxon are having this squabble and I won't go into why but basically he he challenged Brad Faxon on what Brad Faxon said was his strength as a putter and Scott basically showed him well what you're saying isn't true you know Faxon's point was I I never make a putt where it always goes by the hole and um, where I have to mark my ball like he's saying that that's the way he putted that he was always more than three feet by the hole and Scott was saying no you weren't in fact, statistically, here's how many you left short. Here's, and then 
Brad didn't like that being challenged on, you know, he's a PGA Tour player and who is Scott Foss. And anyways, that's some of the background. It doesn't excuse what Scott said and did, but it does put some context around why he did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I couldn't really understand. When I read the tweets, I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? Um, and unfortunately, in social media land, you open yourself up to all kinds of instant judgments and all that kind of stuff. That's one of the things I really don't like about it, quite honestly, is just this this place where people can just make instant judgments about, about things. And Scott... He kind of fell into into the dragon's mouth that he created to some degree. Is absolutely this, this tweeting that he does and all that, and it's great. And it's just, you know disclosing and, and being passionate, but he just lost uh, to me. He just lost touch with what's. It seems like a squishy word, like appropriate. It seems like a, such a prudish word, but um, he he. He, he just lost it there but so that's that's one hell of a learning experience for Scott Fawcett I'll have to say but um, one of the things that I think that it demonstrates about Fawcett is his loyalty and his and his passion and how much he he cares and if someone is kind of going around using misinformation and that kind of stuff then 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 he's going to correct it. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that that's part of the, if I could find the golden nugget in that. Yeah. Well, yeah, that. yeah. What you say, I mean, again, one person's appropriate is another person's who gives a crap, but you're right. It didn't seem very, it was a bit on like the word I kept using is he just kind of seemed unhinged for a few moments. That's a great word. And, you know, and, and I sort of said that to him in so many words, I showed support for him. I said, Hey, you know, I you've made a huge difference in my golf life, but let's not kid ourselves. Shit got kind of weird there, but you owned it. You know, he did own it to a degree, maybe not completely complete contrition, but his video was basically saying, hey, I didn't go out. He, he just wanted people to know this didn't come out of the blue. He, he and Brad Faxon have been going back and forth for several years. And what Scott has that Brad doesn't, First of all, Scott's a genius level brain. He's a uh, professional, was a professional poker player and understands numbers. He, he basically had the facts on his side. No pun intended. Brad Faxon, the real facts, what Brad had on his side was what he felt. Brad was, and, and Scott would tell you, Brad's one of the best putters that ever played the game. But what his assessment of his own ability didn't hold up to the actual facts of Faxon's putting. And that's what Scott couldn't get his head around. He said, no, that's not what you're doing. In fact, you left this many putts short. Statistically, that's why you were a good putter. No, you didn't hit every putt four feet by the hole. His Fax's whole thing was, you know, I always have to go into my pocket, you know, after a putt and, and marketing it. No, you don't. And, and so Scott was just saying, what you're telling people isn't real. The best putters on in the world leave a certain percentage of lag putts short. They just do. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, well, you know what's really interesting about that is what what I think what Faxon is demonstrating is in essence 
the is having the right mindset. So it didn't really matter. You see, to me, when Brad Faxon was playing PGA Tour golf, it didn't really matter what the what what the data was. Yes, it's what he thought. Right, and it's the same thing with Jack Nicklaus. And you've probably heard this story that, uh, and I think it was Rotella who told it that Jack Nicklaus he was on the Champions Tour by then, and he was giving a talk, and there's a group of group of people there, and. Nicholas said, I never missed a short putt in a major championship. Right. Never. And a man stood up and goes, uh, Mr. Nicholas, uh, in fact, I saw you at whatever tournament it was, and you, you did miss a short putt in the major. And Jack just basically said, uh, no, I didn't. And the man said, well, Jack, I've got the tape. I could show it to you. And, and Rotella said that it wasn't. I mean, really, it would be insane to think that Jack Nicklaus, over the course of 30, what, 30, 35, almost 40 years of championship golf, never missed a short putt in a yeah, major. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Of course he did. Yeah. But it's what Jack thought about it. So I have a sense of where maybe Fawcett lost the, got unhinged, not grounded, was to understand that the numbers are not absolutely everything particularly in how we approach the game and in and, and, and our mindset. Yeah. And I think Faxon, you know, got his nose out of joint because as a tour player, you know, amazing golfer, you know, certainly way more golf credibility than oh, some absolutely. random guy like Scott Fawcett. I think Brad Faxon took exception. If you And again, you read the tweets, like Brad Faxon got a little bit pissy because some nobody was telling Brad Faxon what the real... What the real deal on putting was like? Yeah. Well, so, so um, welcome, Brad. You're not the only guy who's exactly. got a viewpoint here, you know. And like, but I think that um, our good friend Robert Dameron, I remember it was really educational for me because I don't know a lot of, I, I, you know, I did interview a lot of PGA Tour players and coaches back when I was writing about golf in the '90s, but it's a different deal when you're able to have freewheeling conversation here's my point is that Dameron said to me that he had a certain arrogance he had this sense of 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 that he could perform and that he didn't have the self-doubt that a lot of players have particularly amateurs feel Mm -hmm. and he said it was around this arrogance and I get it that if you've been in high pressure situations and tournaments and you know, whether it be major championships, Ryder Cups, etc., at a certain point, you're going to feel pretty damn confident what can come across as arrogance. And so I, I think that to your point that Faxon might have just kind of like, yeah, he said, who's this fly on my butt yeah. who's, who's just kind of annoying me? Yeah, and, you know, a guy like Scott Fawcett who is, like I said, you know, off the charts IQ, really smart guy about numbers. Also, you know, well, he's not some peon in his parents' basement. He's wealthy beyond your imagination. Made a lot of money and, you know, plus he played tour level golf. Remember, he was a corn, he had a corn fairy card. Um, he wasn't way out of, he wasn't some, you know, nobody from the hinterland. 100%. Um, before we wrap up the show, I just want to let everyone know it is the uh, 24th of August when we're recording this at around quarter to 12 in the morning. And currently at the Canadian Mid-Amateur Championship, 
friend of show Charles, Dr. Charles Fitzsimmons is uh, once again tied for the lead uh, awesome. midway, midway through the second round. Charlie Fitz, Charlie Fitz was uh, leading after yesterday's round and now tied uh, currently two under par through uh, eight holes of play. And uh, the kid that's in third place, he's a kid from Cedar Bray. He's a guy, he's a guy, a guy named Ryan Sang, T-S-A-N-G. And I was sitting at dinner with Ryan. It's a great thing about this game. Yeah. A week and a half ago, I was at Hamilton after the round because it's mid-ams and the seniors. And I happened to be at Ryan's table. And uh, we're talking about our friend Charlie Fitzsimmons in common. And, uh, and I see that Ryan's having a nice round today. He is uh, three under par through the first eight holes and is currently tied for third place. So there you go. Cool. Well, it's also so a lot of cool stuff going on. I mean, um, Brooke Henderson uh, teeing it up at uh, the Hunt Club in Ottawa in the Canadian Women's Open. Yeah. Uh, just re- Brooke, just, Brooke just re-signed with Golf Town. That's what I read oh, this really? week. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and I there was saw a, our, I saw our friends from Taylor May. With I was going to say, yeah, with, yeah. Nick. With the TP5 and all that. By but, the way, did you see the picture it, of Nick and Brooke online? Our buddy Nick O. No. Our, no. our uh, TaylorMade contact. Nick O from TaylorMade. Nice picture of him and Brooke. No, but that's exciting for, you know, our friends at TaylorMade. You know, Brooke, you know, in Canada playing. You know, she just came off winning uh, her second major championship. And I got friends in Ottawa, and they're so excited about seeing Brooke Henderson because uh, Smith Falls, I don't know how far that, her, yeah, not her far. hometown. Yeah. It's not that far from, from Ottawa. So uh, exciting times uh, for uh, Canadian golf fans this week. Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca is where you find out more. Read that blog about George McNamara, as I mentioned. Yeah, also, Above Par, Kathy Hartwood. That's her podcast but go check her out kathy hartwood uh, com and um humble and go check that out online we have uh, we're back from vacation we're doing new shows every week now for the next uh, couple of weeks at least hopefully by next week i'll know if i'm in the canadian senior am because who doesn't want to be in red deer once fall arrives uh in the meantime thanks again to tim o'connor and everyone who helped produce this program toronto mike and we'll see you next week I step inside, but you don't see